we may not be able to necessarily fix the fact that there are biases with regards to the algorithms, with the technologies. We don't know what's coming, but we do know that we do need to develop the things that make us uniquely human that will actually help us to solve the problems that are coming as a result of the technology. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, Tribe. If you've watched any of my Instagram reels in the last couple of weeks, you know I've been on this whole crusade about women breaking the rules, building bigger businesses, really living into your dreams and not letting anything stop you. And today's guest, Charlie Oliver, has done exactly that. She is, I'm going to say, one of the most dynamic and brilliant women that I have met. And when you hear her story, you're going to hear about one moment was really the catalyst for her starting her first business, but how she's taken on new challenges and continued to question the status quo and disrupt industries beyond measure. And we dive into all, all things technology-related, AI, virtual reality, self-driving cars, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversation was really interesting because while I try to keep abreast of everything that's going on, obviously, there was a lot of stuff that she talked about that I haven't really paid attention to. And maybe this will be new information for you. Maybe it won't. But the one thing that was my big takeaway and I hope will be yours as well is to be curious, right? Like the way we can make change is to really educate ourselves, not just on the one thing or the one, from the one source that we is our go-to you know, place for information, but look for differing opinions and understand them, not just judge them. So with that, we're going to dive into the interview right now, and I hope you love this as much as I do. Hey, Charlie, I'm so super excited to have you here. I can hardly wait to dive into multiple conversations with you because what you do at Tech 20, I wouldn't say 2020 now, Tech 2025 is so cool to me and I'm going to stop talking actually, because I'm going to let you introduce yourself before I ramble on all the things that I'm interested in. As a fellow podcaster, let me just say, I understand that because I'm the same way. So don't worry about it. We, we've got this. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I loved our initial conversation and we just yeah. went all over the place. And it's, so I look forward to that. 
to continuing it at that. I am the founder and CEO of Tech 2025, which is a futurist, I call it pragmatic futurist organization and a technology organization that helps people and businesses to prepare for the technological future. So we focus on the innovations that are coming and their impact on business and society and people, of course. And so we started doing that in 2016. I technically launched it in November 2016. We started doing live events and think tanks, which was the primary way that we communicated with everyone. We bring all kinds of people together. We want to make sure that we have a diverse audience. And we just began to sort of talk about the thing that we know that people need to learn about and need to talk about and want to talk about that they're not hearing in media or even at work. And so, and, and asking them how they want to participate in innovation and how they want to prepare for what's coming. Now, little did we know that all of this would be coming this way, but here we are. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so exciting because like, I've got this mental bulleted list in my type A brain, things to to cover because your website is one super cool and very informative. But you talk about 2025, not 2020 people, but 2025 is being kind of like the next big leap in technology. And there's so many different areas between AI and blockchain and virtual reality and the metaverse and everything else that's happening. So why is it 2025, like not 2026 or 2024? That is a great question. And I will tell you that the... So in 2016, I began, there's two things that happened that made me go, okay, we, something's got to change. That's three things that happened. In 2016, I started hearing real sort of concern from clients. And this is clients of Surfresh Media, which is my second company that Mm -hmm. I've had since 2009. And, you know, I deal a lot with enterprise companies and executive management teams and, you know, sort of helping them to understand some of the trends and, and innovations that are coming. They were all just kind of like, what is going on with this AI machine learning? How do we prepare our organizations for that? What do we do? And the first thing that I said was, are you talking to the rest of your organization? How are you having these conversations? It's no longer, it's not going to be top down anymore. You guys have to prepare for that. It was a little too early for them to grasp that, right? But I knew that that was a big piece of the puzzle that would need to come together if any of this was to work to our benefit as a society, right? And then the other two things, which is really very much the case is that uh, I listened to an interview or no, excuse me, I read an interview, technically it was an article with Sebastian Thrall and Eric Schmidt, former chairman of Google. And in that article, they sort of were informally offering a rebuttal to Elon Musk and the late Stephen Hawking. So they are tech utopianists and Elon Musk and the late Stephen Hawking was sort of tech dystopianist, right? The AI was good could possibly kill us or whatever. And so one of the things that I said that I, that I heard in that interview constantly throughout the whole piece was them saying that we shouldn't worry about any of this. It's going to be great. Stop being silly. AI is just going to be, it's going to make us, you know, better, more and everything. And I thought to myself, wait, this is a bunch of crap, right? Like, because if that is the case, even if best case scenario, all of this technology takes us into a utopia that we never could have imagined, right? Right. I have to pay a price to get there. Since when do we ever get anything wonderful in life without paying a price at yeah. what cost, right? And the fact that they weren't even willing to entertain that sent chills down my spine because I thought, well, you have enough money where you can go to the middle of the country, middle of the earth and hide out 
while the rest of us frying on the top, you know, for me, whatever. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing was the day after Trump was elected, I sat in front of like 10 feet in front of Mark Zuckerberg at an event at Techonomy and listened to him answer a question that he himself says he sort of regrets. It was the turning point for him in Facebook where he said to the audience, the question was, was Facebook responsible for, you know, the election for Trump winning and the Russian interference? And he flat out categorically said, no, you remember that, right? Because now there's no way. And I sat 10 feet in front of him when he said that. And I thought to myself, this is the man, one among many who are going to be running the world with AI and these, these coming technologies. And we've got to figure this out before that, before that happens. Because if we don't, if we don't intervene and, and participate and take the wheel, not just take it from them, but co-drive this bus, we're all going to go off of a cliff. And so it was under that umbrella of my client reading this things, Eric Schmidt and, and this arrogance is what I would call it. By the way, he has since changed his tune. And then also Mark Zuckerberg that I thought, who's talking to ordinary people? Who's talking to the employees? Who's even letting them know that they need to help figure this out, right? So that's when we started having some events. And it, it changed everything for me. And from what I'm told, it changed a lot for people because people came up to me and they started saying, God, I didn't know that I could understand AI or that I could figure this out or go back to my company and talk about this in a smart way. Yeah, and I feel like... Eric Schmidt, Mark Zuckerberg, like the powers that be, like they get so enamored with the technology that they're not thinking through the cause and the and the effects of just randomly implementing their new right. baby. Right. And and the problem with that is not only is it that they can think through it, but they can never figure it out without having the people in the room right. understand what it's going to feel like to be on the receiving end of things when they go wrong. You see, because again, they have enough money, they have enough cushion and enough support where when things fall apart, they can go get a bunker and, and, and you know, they may lose some money, market, you know, they might, you know, put whatever, right. whatever. It's not going to be the same as it is for, you know, a single mother with kids or an elderly person or, you know, people of color. It's just not. And so that's to your point. I mean, it's just, it's, they are building these technologies in them within their own brain and, and their own little hub. And they are not letting the people in who should be in those rooms, which is us. And I feel like just because we can create something doesn't mean we should necessarily implement it into any aspect of our life. Right. You know, if you talk to people who develop AI, you know, and you ask them, you really sit down and ask them questions about the future of AI, about the next five to 10 years, I guarantee you, you're going to hear wildly different answers. Yes. And yes. you are going to hear a lot of hesitancy about being able to pinpoint exactly where this is going. And I'm not saying that they actually have to know exactly where this is going because technology doesn't sort of evolve that way, but they still, they can't address right now yet and still the ethical issues, the issues that we know are here that are only going to magnify and intensify in the next five to 10 years, they still can't address those issues. So it's a reasonable question to say, should we, you know, you can't really put the brakes on anything. And I'm not saying that we should, but are we getting ahead? Or are we, are we letting the train, go, you know, run ahead of us? And, and I think the answer is yes. I the question, the thing is, we can't stop it, <laughs> right. but, but we need some guardrails. We need to do that. And we're not doing that enough. So you right, talk right. to people like that, and they don't know how to answer those questions or even to have that conversation. Right. Very work. So for 
listeners who are like kicking this in and aren't super knowledgeable about all of the technology, what are some of the issues that you see that we all at least want to start paying attention to and, and educating ourselves on? You mean in terms of things that will impact us yeah. sort of as a society? I mean, most, well, I think the most important thing is, is what happens with the algorithms, right? The black box, not understanding. And we don't even necessarily have to understand how the algorithms arrive at the decisions that they do. We may never fully know that, especially because as, as they develop, they're getting quote unquote smarter. They're learning how to sort of fix their own issues. And it's, it's quite profound, actually, when you think about it. I mean, but I, I think the thing that we need to understand is that a lot of the issues that we have, the biases that we have as human beings, right, is just built into the technology now. It's built into the algorithms. It's like it's not going away, right? We aren't educating people enough about those things and what they are and how to mitigate them or or even just even understand how to how to have a conversation about it. And the problem with that is that I think, and this is just my opinion, we are offloading as a society, as individuals. And, and we all do this because everything that we need, we just go like this, right? We right. pick up our phone and boom, I, I don't need to think. I just want to click, click, click. But the problem <laughs> is that it's, listen, I'll be the first person to tell you that, right? But the problem is- I just had, is, a, I had a thought and I'm like, oh, I'm going to post it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly, right? And, and it's, listen, we're all, I mean, this is not a, even a, a judgment. It's just a fact that we are, as a society, entirely and wholly agreeing to offset, offload with our decision-making to algorithms, which we are doing, which is fine. There's two problems with that, though. There's a lot of potential, but there's two big problems, right? Number one is that I think it, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, challenges or minimizes our cognitive ability, right? Mm -hmm. We no longer think through problems the way we used to. You ask a 15-year-old or a world, right? Right? You ask them to think through a problem, simple problem. You don't go, you know, just A, B, and D. What is that? What is that? And they'll go, what, what, what? Right? The other thing is that you cannot allow that to happen and not consciously and strategically and intentionally develop the parts of our human brain, of our humanity, that we should be developing as we offset or offload some of those cognitive functions. So if the if the technology is becoming more autonomous, right, and we have automation now, we're sort of pushing off those functions, right? we should be investing more in our creativity. We should be investing more in understanding how to, how to work with and understand our higher order thinking, our own intuition, and we're not doing that. That, I think, is the problem. Because if we we begin to develop the things that we, especially in Western society, have thought have been like our intuition, and some people would say our spirituality and, and other things, creativity, period. If we don't begin to really embrace and develop that really right now, I mean, in ways that we never have before, I'm talking mm-hmm. about an along with the technology that we will lose, we will lose. Okay. So I I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that we may not be able to necessarily fix the fact that there are biases with regard to the algorithms with with the technologies. We don't know what's coming, but we do know that we do need to develop the things that make us uniquely human that will actually help us to solve the problems that are coming as a result of the technology. Does that make sense? 
Yes, absolutely. And I'm always curious, just in my own life and what, because I know it's different for everybody, but that balance of technology and not. So like I try to do digital detoxes periodically. So eat a day, you know, no social for a day or two, just so I'm disconnected and I'm not in that constant, oh, let me check my phone every two seconds. Right. Oh, it's, it's been like, I, I don't, it's, it's interesting. I, I do the same. I find myself more now than ever just being, and a, part, a lot of that has to do with the fact that every time you pick up your phone, you're seeing something. It's like, oh, we're, we're with another war. What are we doing now? You know, it's, it's just that what's happening in the world is so intense. Yeah. It's swing wildly. It's like I, there are days when I just don't want to pick up the phone. Well, you and know, there's, so, I, there's so much of it, right? Like 50 years ago, right? Like stuff, as many things may have been going on, but you weren't as well informed about half of them. See, and that's the thing in 2016, when I started talking about Tech 2025, and I, again, I did this at Economy, which is a quarterly, at that time, it was a quarterly magazine and a, a tech event, annual tech event for C-suite executives. But, you know, one of the things that I said and why, I don't even think I have an answer why Tech 2025, I apologize, I sort of went off on a tangent, but right. <laughs> point, right, I came to the realization, and I will never forget this, because I was sitting in my house, I was like eating cereal, having one of these like duh moments, you know, nothing particularly amazing happening in, that, in my life at that moment, I was just eating. And, it, and I realized when I thought, really sat and looked at all of the emerging technologies that are developing right now is, you know, everything, the autonomous vehicles, robotic, you know, the CRISPR, you know, the gene editing. Looked at all of that. I said to myself, at that time in 2016, if you ask the developers of those technologies at that very nascent phase, when is this going to really come to fruition? Whatever it is you're developing, whatever emerging technology, when is it going to really take hold in society and really be mainstream? Now, entrepreneurs tend to be very, you know, optimistic. Yeah, you know, it's going to happen in five years or whatever. But but for the most part, yeah, right. For the most yeah, part, yesterday was, is when I like to just say any day now, <laughs> any day now. It goes past my head. That's the thing. So you, you know, at that time, you know, you would hear from them a lot. Five to ten years, five ten years, and I thought to myself, now I'm hearing this from all of them, probably because they really have no idea, right? But that's the best case. That's their goal. You have all these technologies happening at the same time, developing together. No one talked about the fact that, you know, these technologies are developing. Nothing is developing in a silo. That means within the next five to seven years, we're looking at an explosion of technologies sort of really being embedded in society around the world. And us sort of being like at that point, which turned out to be 2025, I said at that point, if you aren't in a particular place in your life with regards to understanding and embracing and, and really being comfortable with technology, whether you're an executive, you're running an organization, or you're an individual or student, if you have not upskilled your thinking and your way of looking at the world to be in line with where that world is going to be in 2025, it's a wrap. That's, and I, I know that sounds really kind of bad, 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 but it's true. I felt like, you know, it's a train pulling out of a station. And right now, what I would tell the audiences when we did live events, I would say the window of opportunity is wide open, but you need to look at 2025 as a sort of a, a deadline. I don't right, want to right. say that. That's how I would say. And keep in mind that 
the window is open, but it's closing exponentially in proportion to the acceleration of the development of these technologies because the big tech companies, they are being it. They're going to swoop in and they're going to take the opportunities. They're going to take the biggest opportunity. They're going to, you know, and they're going to begin to drive this bus and how work they do. So my thing with Tech 2025 and anyone who would come to our events, and we had everyone from 18-year-olds to 80-year-olds sitting there talking about this stuff, which is great. My thing to this audience was, you better get your, get your piece of the pie now. Get your piece of the pie now. Figure out what this is. Train yourself, upskill yourself, and be unapologetic about what you choose to do and how you choose to do it, or you're going to get left behind. Because I, no one knows. No one knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't. And I've heard it. I mean, I've listened to a couple of podcasts where people have talked about it kind of top level which has been a great way to build awareness for me, but I don't, mm -hmm. they don't see it in the New York times. Yeah. I missed that day, but. <laughs> they just did research on, you know, I forget, I should probably, I'll send you the link. It's really fascinating. Yeah. So years into AI, you know, enterprise brain AI, they did a survey of executives and managers in enterprise mm -hmm. companies to ask them how comfortable they were with AI. Do you know what it is? So they asked them some really basic questions. It turns out, even at this stage, no one knows what the hell it is. <laughs> no one can really. It's too funny. It's funny, we're right? Just messing with something, but we don't really fully understand it. Yeah, whatever. That's <laughs> so good. We've world impact. No worries. AI, I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But no, look, that's very important because it, it goes to show, and this is what yeah. I tell the audience, don't believe the hype. Don't buy into it. Don't be pulled by it. Listen to it. Take it into consideration. But for the love of God, there's a hype cycle in technology, in, in development, and it's real. It's been the case oh, since yeah. the beginning. Don't let Gardner and these companies drag you into that BS. <laughs> Think about, like, all the marketing that goes into like the new smartphone in the moment. And, and I mean, I'm an iPhone user, but it's like, do they do such a great job of building want and desire? And yeah. it's usually five things that you're not even going to use. And, and then at what point, how slim does my phone need to be? Is it still getting slimmer? Cause yeah. I don't, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm really curious about your evolution as an entrepreneur and thought leader. You started your first business, you said in 2007, right? In 2007, yes. Yeah. That's this, when I thought. Yeah, and Tech 2025 is your third. So, yeah. Ooh, what? a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> what was the catalyst for you starting the first business? Oh, that's a great question. I love that. Okay. So I came from, I, I know this whole like, you know, freelance work from home thing is new, but I, I've been freelancing pretty much my whole life in terms of going in and out of companies, doing what I wanted to do and everything. And so I have had done a lot by the time I started. I mean, people would look at my resume and say, my God, how many lives have you lived in this one? Like I had that kind of resume, right? And so I decided in 2007, and this was Scott, this is so long ago, it's like YouTube that just launched or whatever. You know, when you are an entrepreneur and you launch businesses, which you will do you again and again and again, because you have a million ideas, you begin to see a, a thread of your desire in, in terms of what you want to contribute to the world throughout those businesses. It may manifests itself differently in each business, but you see the thread of, of a common goal or purpose. 
And that business, I will tell you, excuse me, what really made me think I can do this and that I must do this was it was actually 2008 when it was the presidential election for Obama and McCain a lifetime ago. And, you know, I, I met someone, she was really cool. I knew her for a few months and she came up to me, Catherine Vevel Jones, and she said, another dynamic, incredibly talented woman, producer, Broadway producer, brilliant. She came up to me, she said, to me, I don't know if we remember, but at that time, everyone was very emotional and angry or just like over that election. And she came to me and she said, we need to do something to give women across America a voice in this election because everyone is listening to Sarah Palin and no one is listening to ordinary women. So I said, okay, you think? She said, to me, I know, right? And that was true. It's like, remember Sarah Palin was like an explosion, man. She just, she just sucked up all the oxygen and it was incredible. So I said, yeah. She said, Charlie, let's do a webinar online. Mind you, YouTube had only been up for a year. You did, there was no such thing, right? The, the online video was just getting going. She said, let's do a, a 24 hour, whatever webinar where we just let women, we read letters from women across the country. And these are letters sent in about this thing, about the election and, and women who were writing in and emails and saying, you know, this is how I feel. And we just read them. We let people come in and read the, we did that. And let me tell you something, it trended on Twitter. And back then on Twitter, the trending topics were on the top of the screen. It trended. We had reporters come in and we were able to give women a voice. And it was on video, web video. And, and there was nothing more. To, and people were just coming in and they were reading these letters from women across the country on camera to like nowhere. And it was just, and, and so that is, I will say, for me, that was the moment when I said, oh, hell yeah, I have got to do this. If I can create a startup or create a business that gives and empowers ordinary people to have a voice, then let's do it. And so I launched Art of Talk TV, which was an online web video website for letting people create their own like mini talk shows way too early. This is too early to do that. But that was the gist of it. It was like, you can have your own like 20 minute talk show on our site and just curated conversation. But it, the problem is it was too early for that. But the, and then the market crashed, you know, whatever. But anyway, I had been thinking about that, but that event, that that whole process of doing that, we called it a women response to Sarah Palin. It isn't until you see how the technology and the platforms can change people's lives for the better, or at least give them a voice that it really moves me, that it made me think, this is it. This is powerful, you know, and it was hard. It was hard as hell because we did the technology and so new we didn't have it. It was there. Oh, yeah. It was hard. It was like, what is going on? But it, it was exciting. And the, and the tagline for my, or the tagline for my startup, Art of Talk TV, was be heard, right? It's like, be heard. Like you, everybody can have a voice now, be heard, right? And that has stayed in terms of that being the theme of a lot of, of all of my work since then. So amazing. Well, it's not all angelic. Let me let me just tell you. Sometimes I'm like, I just wanna, <laughs> everybody will just shut your mouth. <laughs> share with me because I know the audience loves when people share like one of their big challenges because I always get the feedback of, oh, I'm so glad somebody said you know A, B, and C because I'm like right there now or I just experienced that. So what was one of the what was one of the big challenges that you learned the most from? 
Oh, that's a brilliant question. And let me tell you, the answer just comes spewing out of me because it's just, it's to the day I die, it will be the challenge that changed my life and it was through my startup, right? So Art of Talk TV, an investor, believe it or not, at that point, wanted to invest, wanted to give me a quarter of a million dollars to get it, which I was like, great. Oh my God, this is insane. I love it. But I didn't really like what he was saying. I, it was, I've had meetings with his partners. I had meetings with them. They had just invested in another startup that was a video startup, by the way, that Warner Brothers ended up buying, I think. Anyway, I, I walked away from that deal. I was like, no. Uh, this doesn't feel right. Even though it's quarter of a million, I have to walk away from it. Just there's something about this I don't like. You know, a few months later, the market crashed. So glad I didn't take that money. So, so glad. Yeah. And here's the thing about that. This is a two-fold two, two thing. Here's the thing about making hard decisions about whether to take the money or not. I, you know, I would go out to dinner and, and lunch and everything. We'd have lunch with, with the investors. And a wonderful guy the, who owned the, who was the managing partner. But he would sit there and sort of, talk about how good life is. And he had a good life. He had a lot of money. He smoked cigars and just talk all day. Old white man with a lot of money. There you go. Right? So you, you know what I'm saying. And I used to think to myself as a black woman, I used to go, this guy doesn't have a care in the world. He's got big house, beautiful money, this, that. And so, something, what is it? He just, what is he doing that I'm not that, you know? And you look at that and you think, I don't know. I don't know what it's, if I will... I'm not saying that was what I was aspiring to be, but you can't help but look at the difference and say, he just doesn't have a care in the world. Well, a few years later, he was actually arrested for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for Ponzi, Ponzi scheme. Okay. So, so not only was I glad that I listened to my voice that said, don't you dare take that money, number one, but I was also glad that I looked at him and thought, why is his life so good? What's he, what's going on? That's not to say he couldn't have been the legitimately good life that he, right, he, right. he was stealing from people, right? Yeah. So let's get to the bottom line here about what really changed me and how that contributed to it. When my company went under, the market crashed and everybody had a hard time and I, I had to tell my whole staff, I had to fire, you know, like let them go. I had to fire them. And I've never felt like such a failure in my life. It, they don't prepare you when I say they, the world. Yes, does not prepare you for failure as an entrepreneur, which is distinctly different than failing in any other realm. Because you put more, when you're an entrepreneur, you put, and I'm not saying it's, you know, you just put so much of yourself into it. And I wanted so much for this to happen because I sold people on that dream as well. And I wanted, they tied their dreams to mine. And I wanted their dreams to come true. It didn't occur to me that if I fail, that that means that I've let them down and I could not handle that. That was so depressing for me that I, I fell into a depression. I became homeless. <laughs> Temporarily, I became homeless. I thought I wanted to give up on life, but it turns out that I just needed to sort of figure out who I was trying to be, who I was becoming, right? And it was the part, that was the line of demarcation in my life that told me who I am really versus who I thought I was, right? So... Yeah, that was the hardest thing was, was realizing the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is not letting yourself, it's letting, it's letting other people down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, you're carrying, I think, at least for me, you're carrying like the responsibility of the all with you all the time. And when things start like not working, that gets even heavier. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's multiplied. It's multiplied because, you know, you got everything on you. And it's, this is, I just did not expect that. And let me just say that Americans, 
in particular, we're very arrogant, which is a given. We all know that, right? We're very arrogant. We think we can do everything. It's like, you know, we, we, where's European and, you know, their start sort of culture is one of caution. They're risk averse. They're very, you know, we're very much like the cowboys. We're like, well, we can make it. I could do it. And long, long, long time, I'm a visit. And I was no different. I didn't think that that was the case. But let me tell you, when I launched my first startup, my thinking was very, I was very arrogant. I just thought to myself, well, what? I'll just, what's going to happen? It's how can it not? It's a brilliant idea. What's the problem? <laughs> that kind of arrogance, like not even making preparations for the possibility of what can go wrong. And that's what I mean about not being prepared for failure is that you should be somewhat prepared for the possibility of failure and understand what that will look like to some degree. Can't understand it. But I was so arrogant. I was like, eh. and that was because I rocked the first part of my life the way that I want, that I didn't have any. Eh. Yeah. What did you do differently then in starting the second company now that you've had this experience? Because you didn't oh, let that stop you from <laughs> building two more businesses. Oh, you know, I did yeah, but for punishment. Thank you. As, as <laughs> entrepreneurs are definitely going for punishment. Well, I tell you what I did. Yeah, right. Aren't we? We're crazy. I will tell you that that's when I was homeless after I thought I was giving up. I was like, I give up. And plus the market crashed. Everybody was losing their minds. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I hate it. I give up. I thought I was giving up. But what I was doing was I was giving up on who I believed I was that was no longer serving my purpose and my function like forward. Right. So that was my way of letting go. So when I was quote unquote homeless, trying to figure things out, that is the question that I had to ask myself and answer while I was homeless before I could even build the next business. So I immediately started, even as I was homeless, I had my laptop and I was like working, I was building websites. I was trying to, you know, I'd never stopped, which is this goes to show you how crazy you are. I was homeless and I was still hustling. I was like, okay, da, da, da. what I did differently was I didn't subscribe to other people's idea of what a successful startup should look like. I did that with Art of Talk TV. I followed this mold, which turns out to be a mold for a very narrow set of people, young white guys. They get in, right. they do this, they build a huge team, get take on money take on debt, whatever you have to do, and then just blow up into a multi-million dollar company. I realized, you know, I don't want any of that. I don't want all of that. Maybe some of it. I don't want a big team. I don't want to realize very quickly what I don't want. And I, I let that lead me as much as focusing on what I do want. So that balance helped me to keep from making the same mistakes. Like, no, I don't need to have a conversation about taking on money. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in taking on money right now. I just want to gradually build my business. It doesn't have to blow up. <laughs> you know, I don't need a super expansion in five months. I'm good. Right. And so that's the hardest part. That, that was the hardest part because it requires you to say no to a lot of things that you previously thought you had to say yes to in order to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I've done that right yeah. like in my business. There's been times where I'm like, oh, if I just followed this model, it'll totally work for me. And then right. I'm doing it and I'm like, I don't even like this. Like, I don't even buy this stuff. Why am I offering something that I don't want to buy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it goes out the window, like lickety splits. <laughs> right. right. I can't agree more. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We're not prepared for that. We're not really, we buy into a lot of the 
it's, it's hard now. I don't know. You know, you have a lot of people now who are trying to figure out their lives. We have the great resignation. We have freelancing and all this, so many different ways that you create your life. And, you know, you just kind of have to wonder what's going to happen <laughs> in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, we are out of time. This It's gone by so quickly. So I want the one, thank you so much for, for coming on and everything that you've shared. But for people who are like, I need more of Charlie, where can they find you? Oh, okay. Well, that's easy. So I am on social media. Thank you so much for having me on the show, by the way. I've loved oh, this. You're um, welcome. It's great. I am. It's complicated on Twitter. That's my handle. Just one, two words. It's complicated. And I'm on, obviously on Instagram. I'll give you the links to that. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the place to catch me, even though it's kind of like a, you know. And you can. You know, yeah, everyone's like, it's just, again, one of these things where it's like, oh, okay, we have to use it because what else are we going to use, right? <laughs> but I am responsive. So if you do email me or want to connect with me or whatever, do that. You can email me at charlie at tech2025 or just go to the site tech2025.com. We're in the process of rebranding, so it's an exciting time. So if you go there, sign up for the newsletter and, and everything, and we'll we'll keep in touch with you. But also in the next two months, we're going to be sort of relaunching the site and we will have events and sort of a revamped community. So I'm excited about that. Oh, <laughs> will you have live events or are you having live events? Thank you for asking. I am going to, you know, we were doing three average of three events, live events per month for three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's including my client events through Surfresh Media. So it's a lot. I am definitely going back to live events, but they will be selective. They will be more, you know, it's not going to be as intense as it was before. But yeah, live events. Our, our community is asking for them. People email me and they're like, I missed the event. I missed the big tanks. And I'm like, <laughs> right, well, I'm putting my hand up. I want to go. You're coming. You're coming. We need to attack AIDS in the roof. Yeah, <laughs> <Will>. right. <laughs> know how that's going to work but it'll be fun it'll be like magic yeah crazy magic but magic it's crazy magic <laughs> the the whole okay maybe they need that shake up they i think they do it's their problem <laughs> go with the flow that's yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely anyways charlie thank you again so much and for everybody who's listening we will see you next week Thank you for having me. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders.